Welcome to the Benefits Executive Roundtable, hosted by Dorothy Koshu, President of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Dorothy is a nationally recognized benefits and compliance consultant and group health broker. Here, you'll listen to industry experts break down the latest news and trends in employee benefits, healthcare reform, regulations and compliance, all designed to empower executive decisions. Welcome to the Benefits Executive Roundtable. Today we are bringing you part two of a two-part series on HIPAA privacy and security. Today we will focus on HIPAA technical security, high-tech, and overall IT security for your organization. Welcome to part two, where I'm going to be interviewing Ted Flitner, principal of the Aditi Group. So today we're going to focus on the IT side of HIPAA, high-tech, and privacy and security. And today I get to be the guy on the other side of the table. I go back Dorothy to my gets, normal chair. Dorothy yeah. gets to drill the questions to me. Yeah, I go back to my normal seat where I'm, I'm much more comfortable asking the questions than I am answering them. I like to do it in training and so forth because then I can get into massive amounts of detail, as you know me, because <laughs> that's what I do. But, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm back in my chair today, so I feel a lot better about this. So I am going to be drilling you with questions today, Ted. Take it away. All right. So, all right. So you've been working with us at Advanced Benefit Consulting basically since high tech was enacted in 2009. Yes. Um, due to all the enhanced HIPAA security regulations. And as I said at the end of part one, HIPAA basically with high tech, uh, they put privacy and security, the security side of HIPAA on steroids when they enacted the High Tech Act. So how complex is it um, for employers <laughs> to comply with these regulations? Yeah, it's, it's, it's big, you know, and, it, and it, it gets more complicated every year as we go forward. You know, we talked uh, last time about uh, dealing with the paper, dealing with the physical, that's kind of, I, I, I think I mentioned that was kind of the old school. You know, today it's electronic, you know, yeah. so our data is electronic, which means our data is everywhere. <laughs> it's all around us. And it's easy to lose track of all the places it is. It's easy to lose track of how many places we touch it, how many devices touch it and get involved. And, um, you know, so we're, today we're dealing with mobility. We're dealing with cell phones, laptops, tablets, we're talking about cloud computing. We're talking about working from home. More and more of the of the workplace is officially working from home, uh, officially working from Starbucks and other you know remote locations. Um, you know, so we've got more uh, places people work. We've got a lot more devices. We've got a lot more devices that are not controlled by the company, right? You know, by by the employer, you know, or by the IT department or, or folks like myself. Uh, so it's it's gotten a lot more complicated, and uh, we have an increasing number of threats. You know, you mentioned this last time, Frank Abagnale Jr. And uh, one of his quotes was, of course, the, the weakest link is people. One of his other quotes that he, he said in 2015, he said, remember what I did back in the 60s? <laughs> when he, he basically uh, came, rolled up uh, millions of dollars in credit fraud. He said it's 4,000 times easier today uh, because of technology. Yeah. And so, you know, he, he alluded to back then for him to uh, commit the crimes and, and to do the fraud, he kind of had to be there in person. He had to be there in person to look over the shoulder of the person ahead of him at the checkout stand to do some kind of social engineering. And today, you know, we can do that from anywhere in the world as long as we've got an Internet connection. You know, we can, we can look at people's Facebook profiles right. and try and get information about them to hack their identity. Absolutely. I see it all the time see it all the time. So tell us the basics that employers who are covered entities, um, what are the things that they need to do regarding HIPAA security and high tech? You know, so at the most uh, basic, uh, HIPAA says with protected health information, this is EPHI, Electronic Protected Health Information, uh, we need to do one of two things. Either uh, de-identify it and split it up so that uh, it's basically not sitting or moving around in forms that people can identify and say, oh, wow, that means Dorothy. You know, yeah. this, these bits of information equal Dorothy, her birth date, and so on. Right? So we, either we need to split up and de-identify it, um, or we need to put it in what's called safe harbor status. And right. safe harbor means it basically has to, to meet five key points. And, and each of these points have lots of detail behind them. But, mm -hmm. you know, one key point is data at rest needs to be secured. That means it needs to be in encrypted. That is, for example, data that's on your hard drive on your computer and uh, data that's on that flash drive or that 
you know, DVD or CD-ROM. Mm -hmm. You know, data that's on a server um, in the at a off-site facility at a data center in the cloud. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's data at rest, data in motion. That means when you're sending the email. Right. You know, so it's going from my computer through all kinds of connections to somebody else's computer. You know, uh, data that is received over Wi-Fi. So if I am even, even working within my own company office, but I'm on Wi-Fi, um, that data is coming from the server to my particular computer. Yeah, and how yeah. many, how, I mean, when it passes through a Wi-Fi connection, where is it going? Well, it, it's a radio, yeah. so <laughs> it's going to everybody, everybody who's yeah. in range. Yeah. You know, I, I can, I come into most offices, you know, and, and I'll, I'll quickly uh, flip on uh, the Wi-Fi, and I'll check and see how many signals I can receive strongly. You know, and it's usually about a dozen. You know, that those are all the companies around them. Right. And so what that means is if, if I can, you know, if the signal's strong enough for me to log in, mm -hmm. it's strong enough for anybody to try to log in. And what uh, most people don't know, uh, and this is especially true at home, what, what most people don't know is that um, the, the network equipment that we have right out of the box, you know, the, especially at home, you know, the, or, or for small business, you know, the cable modem that you have um, from whoever your provider is, that uh, you know, maybe you've got an integrated or separate Wi-Fi that goes with it. Um, that equipment is not set up uh, such that it's looking all the time to see who's trying to log in, or alerting you that someone is trying to log in and failing and failing and failing and failing. Right. You know, it's it's not letting you know that. So, uh, data in motion, mm -hmm. whether it's the email, whether it's upper, up, you know, uploading or downloading to the cloud whether it's uh, data moving around on your network, mm -hmm. in the office, on the hardwire, or on Wi-Fi, right. um, or cellular. Right? And also, and also uh, discarded information. Right. So, that's, so that, that's point number three, is discarded. So uh, first one is data at rest, second is data in motion. The third is data deleted, or data discarded. Mm -hmm. So it means, uh, hey, I, I'm done with this computer, let me go ahead and donate this to you know, the local nonprofit, let me donate it to the school, let me donate it to a family member. That's what mostly happens is, yeah, right. you want to get the new technology and you give it yeah. to your kid or to someone else. And, yeah, yeah. Give, me, give it to someone with, with, with great judgment, my kids. Yeah. No, that bad answer. Yeah. Right, so what happens to the data that's on there? Hey, I put it in the trash can, I emptied the trash can, end the story, right? And a lot of people seem to think that if they, if they, Put things in their in their in their trash uh, trash can on their computer that it's it's gone away. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we have to empty it first. We yeah. we all know that we have to empty the trash can first, right? Mm -hmm. But emptying the trash can does not make it go f away from a hard drive, you know, from a, a magnetic storage hard drive. Uh, it's still there. It's essentially uh, the table of contents entry mm -hmm. as to where the records are on that hard drive. That's what's deleted. The records are still there until you overwrite them, or you uh, destroy the hard drive. Right. So, uh, How, what's the best way, by the way? Just because I love this question, because people ask this me ask me this all the time, and I love my answer, but I want to hear yours. Well, it's more you know, official. some people like I, to take, destroy a hard drive. Some people like to take out some aggression and physically destroy it. They mm -hmm. like put a uh, you know a screw through it, a nail through it, sledgehammer, a sledgehammer. You know, if you have your <laughs> high power firearms, then you can you know put a few rounds through it. Um, you can also use bulk uh, erase. You know, so it's you know if it's magnetic media, then it's uh, bulk magnetic erase. You can also overwrite it, and overwriting it is kind of akin to those uh, government records that were released to the public, but they're redacted with you know a black line that's that you know black block over certain parts of text. That's kind of what overwriting it is. You um, will write it with random data with uh, a variety of types of patterns multiple times so that the, the, the chance of someone actually uh, deciphering what was written there originally that was yeah. sensitive is, is just you know, a minimal. And that's basically zero. what encryption does too. That's basically what does well, it rewrites over well, everything. Encryption, encryption uh, is, is more complicated. Right. What, what encryption does, you, know, you, you have uh, about sets of keys. Mm -hmm. you know, so it's kind of, and, and keys are kind of like passwords. And it's, it's um, taking these uh, long strings of data and it's applying mathematical algorithms to it to change the data that uh, was there so that if somebody tried to read it natively without the encryption codes, then it just looks like garbage.
right? And that's and that's the end result if you're overwriting, if you're doing a secure overwrite on your hard drive mm -hmm. to try and um, you know um, cleanse the data or make it secure, it's going to look similar to being encrypted. Yeah. All right. So that that's the third you know leg on this. And again, there's there's a lot more details, um, you know, for for all the areas. And you know, as you mentioned, um, you know, you asked originally, how complex is this? You know, um, depends on the kind of device, depends on the kind of system to how we need to delete data. Um, so the fourth thing is about um, authorization. You know, so only the right people should be authorized. And with this, I'll refer back to a phrase we used last time, which was minimum necessary. Minimum okay. necessary, uh, the definition you shared was um, the minimum minimum necessary information that this person needs to do this job today. Right. That's essentially what HIPAA says is how you should be using information and, and giving authorization for people to, to access the information. So um, authorization means, okay, because it's my job function in this company to handle this kind of data um, today, mm -hmm. you know, this is my job, and this is the kind of data for this set of clients, you know, and, and so sometimes that authorization is you get to handle these clients and I get to handle this clients, kind of like, you know, my territory or my region, right, my client right. base. Um, you know, so based on my role, I am allowed, authorized, you know, to look at this data, work with this data, move it around, manipulate it, and so on. So that's what authorization is. And so that's all driven by job function. Right? So we go back to, you know, again, defining kind of policies and procedures, focusing on, you know, what people should be doing. That drives authorization. And then the, the last piece is access. You know, so we had data, securing data at rest, data in motion, data that has been deleted, giving proper proper authorization, and then controlling the access of those authorized people. So what does that mean? That means if I am um, allowed to get to these folders, say on a network drive, mm -hmm. it means that administrators like myself are going to give a certain account um, the access rights to a certain drive on the network, say the H drive right, for healthcare. Right. right. Get access to that drive. How do I control the access? Well, I'm going to make sure that that person logs in with a username and a password. Mm -hmm. And maybe some additional things like multi-factor authentication. Can you explain that so that people understand what that really means? Yeah, multi-factor authentication, sometimes it's called two-factor authentication. Uh, those are the most common ways it's referenced. Um, we're all seeing it. We see it more and more. Mm -hmm. It basically means that in order for you to log in or get access to something, you use something you know and something that you probably control. So I know my username, I know my password, and then I'm gonna get a text message or some kind of um, other message on an app on my phone. Right. And most likely I control my phone so it's in my possession. So I know something and then something I control. And it's basically about trying to have a greater confidence that the, per the person that I've authorized is actually the person who's trying to log in. Right, and so. I even see that with my banks now, being my bank accounts, I mean, if, whenever, because I travel a lot, as you know, and my, my laptop goes with me wherever I go, mm -hmm. and because I'm now somewhere else, um, for example, if I move from Orange County to I have another home in the mountains, in the local mountains in Southern California, I go up there, and, and the first couple times I went up there, I mean, um, I would get automatically, I'd try to log into my bank account, check my balance or whatever, um, and I, you know, it, we don't recognize this. They we don't, don't recognize, recognize this IP address. Right, exactly. So I would have to then wait for a text message. It was only a second or two, but you know me, I'm impatient. Uh, and then I put it in. I got used to it. Now I'm not as impatient anymore. I'm just expecting it every time I go somewhere new. Mm -hmm. That if I, if I try to log into my bank account or anything like that, I mean, it's so mm -hmm. the world is moving more in that double, yeah, and it should type of authentication, and it, and it really should uh, because we want to have the greatest confidence mm -hmm. that um, it's only us logging into our account and not somebody who's faking us. Right, and the faking part is the, the hard part. It, and it gets it gets uh, easier for people to try and fake it. You know, there's there's so many accesses there. So multi-factor authentication. You know, m most of the time it's it's a text message to your phone. It could be an app on your phone, something like Google Authenticator is an app on your phone, um, or it could be a hardware key, mm -hmm. uh, like a YubiKey, which is something you you actually plug into, um, say a, a USB slot on your computer, um, and they have multiple you know, types of that. 
um, or it could be what's called a hardware dongle, you know, something that you're going to uh, plug in similar, or something that gives a, a code. And uh, We have that for our business accounts when we're yeah. trying to transfer funds or anything like you that. You tend to see yeah, that for a business yeah. bank account yeah. because it's, it's bigger funds usually. And so that it's going to give you like a six-digit code, right? And sometimes it takes the form of a phone call. You know, they'll actually make a call to a phone if, if you don't have a mobile phone. So those are all things that are multi-factor authentication. Another one of those could be a thumbprint. It could be, you know, a retinal scan, you know, some kind of, you know, bio scan, right? That, the thumbprint thing kind of scares me sometimes because I never know with people, pictures on social media these days, people always have their hands in the air, and that always kind of scares me that I heard on a news report once not too long ago about cameras, they, some of them. So hide say, your thumbs. Yeah. Yeah, they, they're saying people could actually zoom in on those and try to pull off your thumbprints. That scares me when I hear things like that. It's like, uh, so when people are in, in, on Facebook or something, I say, don't raise your hands with, don't, you know, <laughs> close your fists. Right. Don't, put, don't put your, they, do they need look some, at me like I'm crazy. They but, need some pretty incredible cameras to get that, but, you know, we're going that direction. Yeah, it's kind of, like I said, I'm more paranoid than most people would be because of the work I do, but. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so when, once you're exposed to this, that's when you, you, you know what to be scared of. Right. Well, let's talk about the primary security risks. Uh, well, I guess the, you know really the big ones, um, and we're we're going to talk about these again and again. The, the big ones that keep coming up: malware. You know, malware is malicious uh, software. Uh, it's the the virus. Mm -hmm. You know, malware. It, it opens um, lots of avenues for control. Um, you know, it, it um, often takes the form of uh, sometimes it, it just takes the form of something that's annoying. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you know we call adware. You know. So you, you clicked on a website, you, you did something too fast, and all of a sudden these ads keep popping up on your computer. That's called adware. And that can be them just simply your mouse goes over something, right? I mm -hmm. mean, literally just well, floats it, over it. Yeah, you need, to, you need to click on something to execute it. Okay. Um, but you could just, just by visiting a website and loading the homepage on a website, that actually could be executing some script that's going to you know, download an executable for you. Um, so, you know, it opens up... Uh, lots of avenue and you know what it can lead to is um, someone gets control of your machine someone's monitoring your machine so I mean, at the minimum somebody you know could be monitoring your data and, and so monitoring your keystrokes what's going um, what's actually you know reading what's on your data you know reading who's in your address book um, which is why we all have spam now because you know somebody got infected and your name was in their address book and so on and so on. So you're, you're on lots of spam lists because of things like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your computer can actually become a host for nefarious websites. Your computer can be a host for spam. Um, and, and probably uh, one of the more dangerous things that can happen is ransomware. And if you haven't heard of ransomware, you will. You'll hear about it more and more. Um, every business should be aware of ransomware. And uh, most businesses you know, are, are becoming targets of ransomware. What's ransomware? It means that... You knew I was going to ask that, you get right? The malware. You saw that look on, you saw that look yeah, on my face. That, you're like, what, um, what is, what's ransomware? You know, um, it's a hostage situation. Right. It, it is a hostage situation. It's malware uh, that got loaded onto your device, whether it's your, you know, usually your computer, um, and it encrypts your data and says, and then sends you a message and says, hey, guess what? Uh, I got your data, and if you want it back then pay up pay up usually in some kind of cryptocurrency and uh you know if you don't pay up within maybe a certain amount of time we're gonna you know kill your kids no they don't do that <laughs> we're do gonna that. kill your data and and if you want to see your data back uh, alive then you'll give us the money and, and the directive from the fbi what do they say they say pay up absolutely they say pay up because they can't help you they don't have the keys and that's the power of encryption. The power of encryption is, you know, if, as long as you have the keys, then uh, you're, you're fairly protected. It's possible to, to guess, you know, what, what the encryption codes are, uh, but the probability is extremely, extremely small. It's, it's smaller than winning the lottery. Um, you know, and that's the challenge with this. Yeah. You know, so it, it has hit companies big and small. It's hit, you know, hospitals. It's hit uh, cities and states. You know the uh, the city of Atlanta, you know had uh, had a ransomware attack. Do you remember the big WannaCry one? WannaCry, WannaCry, mm -hmm. WannaCry. Yeah. You've, you've heard that WannaCry is a ransomware, right? So those are the kinds of things that can happen uh, when you get malware. You know that's that's a big danger. 
you know, another, you know, other kinds of common dangers, um, having someone just uh, pick up your lost or stolen device. Yeah. And, you know, if you didn't put a password on it, if you didn't put a secure password on that, right? Um, if you have a laptop that you left behind and say you have a great, strong, you know, user password, you know, say it's a Windows machine, you've got that strong Windows, you know, password, so what? I'll just take the hard drive out and I can read it. If you have not encrypted that hard drive with full disk encryption, then I can read it. You know, and that's uh, that's easy. It, it takes you know minutes to do. You know, so lost and stolen. I want to. Yeah, I want to expand on that a little bit. Um, you talked about someone guessing your passwords. Um, can you give people a little bit of advice? I always tell people the last thing you want to do is use anything on your passwords that has anything to do with anything that's been posted on social media or something like that. Because unfortunately, we, these stars and stuff like that, how they've been hacked and you know how their accounts have been hacked and um, all their pictures have been stolen and all this kind of stuff, it's primarily because they they made their passwords very insecure and things like their pet names. Well, and, well they made them like most people do. Yeah. They, they made them like uh, most of us yeah. do uh, because the the challenge, you know, this it really roots around this, this this basic challenge of remembering passwords. Mm -hmm. I can't remember my passwords. So what do we do? I, I know the names of my kids, my family members, my parents. I know the birth dates. I know my pets. Mm -hmm. And so most of us have had, I don't, you know, maybe in the long distant past, most of us have passwords that are some combination of our kids, pets, parents, partners, names. It's people, birth dates, and, and animals, right? Yeah. Those, those around us because so we please, remember them. So please remember that and don't make those your passwords. <laughs> yeah. Anything that, especially anything that's posted on social media. Don't 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 use anything that is public information because right. you know it's so easy to get public information, um, and it's so easy to get stuff through things like Facebook and Google. And so you know, at the end of the day, it, we go back to this issue of how do I remember my passwords? Well, if you do what we recommend, which is using a, a password storage system like a, uh, some kind of software system like KeePass or LastPass or Dashlane, something that uh, where you um, add some, use a very strong password to get into your encrypted database, and in there you've got all your passwords, right? I, I manage thousands of passwords, and I don't remember yeah. you know, but a dozen of them. You only have to remember the one to get into that file. I remember the one to get into the file. And the one to get into that file has multi-factor authentication. Yeah. You know, it's got multiple levels of multi-factor authentication. So it's it's me that's logging in to get to them. And because of that, I can use strong passwords. So and what do you recommend for strong passwords? I mean, what what kind of combinations? How long? What I, type of? I, I tend to make them ridiculously long. Yeah, you do. I, know. I, I like to make them as long as possible. Really. I know. I have to scratch my head every time you create a new password for me. It's like, can I change this to at least something that I can? I can't. I can't enter all these things in, you know, because it just takes. I mean, it, you need to do that, and I understand. Well, Being in my also, position, I understand it, but. Mm -hmm. And that's also one of the benefits of using something like, uh, say, KeyPass or LastPass or Dashlane. One of those uh, programs that's storing um, your passwords, um, they will often facilitate you to, to do like a one-click login. Once you open that program, then you can do a one-click and it'll open, you know, open a browser, or go to the, to the web address, and it'll just put in the username and password for you. Uh, so it's like one-click. It actually saves you time. Well, what are some? What's an example of the types of passwords that you might want to create? I mean, as far as like switching out letters for. Yeah, so I, I want to have like a, at least. Uh, I want to be using like at least twelve characters, you know. And why? Why so long? Because the probability of somebody guessing is lower. You know, so we, we recommend uh, twelve digits or, or more, twelve characters or more. And uh, why so long? Well, the longer it is, the lower chance that someone's going to guess it, and uh, the longer it would take for someone to try and use a brute force method. Brute force means they're just plugging away, trying each iteration that's possible. And so you want to use all the special characters that you can. Right. Those are the exclamation points and the dollar signs and the pound signs and all that stuff. And unfortunately, even today, a lot of services still don't support all the special characters. They it's, don't. I noticed that. When I try to create passwords, they won't let me off. It's frustrating. Yeah, it's very frustrating. It's frustrating. But you want to use what you can, special characters, uppercase, lowercase, and numbers. And you want to use all those. And what we generally recommend is think of a phrase that you're going to remember that is is something that's kind of unique to you and like a sentence you know i love basketball on mars you know just something <laughs> whatever it is yeah. something that, and and something that's not um just straightforward 
but I kind of like to make it personal. And, and also when I make it personal, it's something I'm more likely to recommend to remember. And then I will change out some of those characters with numbers, upper and lower case, and special characters. You know, so an example, maybe an I can be an exclamation point. Yeah, an E can be a three, or an, uh, an A can be an at sign. Yeah. I mean, some of it's as simple as that. As simple as that. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of things you can do. And, and you know, there's a lot of, um, I, I do want to speak about changing passwords. You know, um, there's a lot of uh, systems and services that say, change your password every, you know, so many months. And then there's some who say, don't ever change your passwords. You know, um, I, I can argue both sides of that. Yeah. You know, really, if somebody didn't, guess my password before, um, unless they're using brute force um, method, which means they get to keep trying infinite number of times, Yeah. Uh, you know, then maybe I want to be changing it more often, but um, most systems they're trying to access, uh, if they try it more than a certain number of times, the system's going to say, hey, you tried too many times, um, we're going to send a, an email notice yeah. or something that, hey, someone is trying unsuccessfully. Right. right. If that's the case, there's not a point in you changing your password continually. Because they haven't because they haven't gotten to it yet. Because the probability of guessing that 12-digit password versus a different 12-digit password is the same. It's equal probability. Right. So, um, now you're talking stuff I didn't like in college, probability math. statistics, things like that. Yeah, like but I you work in insurance, it's all about stats and probability, <laughs> right? So let's talk breaches. Uh, we hear about them all the time. We have to deal with them all the time. Can you comment on some of the prominent breaches and what went wrong? <laughs> simple question. Yeah, simple question. And where to start? I mean, there's it's every it's it's actually mind-boggling. You know, it's every major service you think you've thought of or that you use. It seems like there's been some form of breach. You know, and keeping up with these is uh, it's almost an impossible task. You know, as they just keep popping up more and more. You know, and some are big and some are small and some are, you know, you know, 10 names. Some are, you know, literally, some of these are just, you know, a couple of names. And some, sometimes these are a couple of hundred million, you know, records. Um, uh, let, me, let me talk about two of these. Let, okay. me, let me talk about, um, well, let's, let's get on Target. Let's talk about Target. That was the first big one. Uh, both of these are record-breaking uh, breaches. So with Target, that was in 2014. And you know it was it was something that ultimately affected uh, just under 80 million people, yeah. and their credit cards. And when did it hit? It hit on Black Friday, right? So mm -hmm. we just we just had Black Friday. Um, how did this happen? You know, um, it was it was huge. That was the, at that time. I mean, you think about it. That wasn't that long ago, 2014. But that was a big deal. That was a big deal. It was. People were just their their minds were just blown just thinking about how can somebody like Target be breached? Yeah, Target's such a huge company. You know, they have tens of thousands of locations. Mm -hmm. You know, how how is it possible that you know this happened? You know, Target has you know huge IT infrastructure, right? So how did this happen? Um, well, number one, uh, these are people who knew what they're doing. You know, mm -hmm. They're they're knowledgeable, and you know you may kind of be picturing Mission Impossible, some guys you know you know with the headset on, it's usually usually. Um, <laughs> You know, in some dark room with lots of computers and lights flashing, right? Um, you know, some team of spies. These are folks who are, are rather knowledgeable. They, they understand networks. They understand how things work. Uh, but how'd they get in the door, right? Here's how, here's how it played out. Uh, somebody who worked for a heating, ventilation, and air conditioning company who was a service provider to Target, among many others, uh, happened to be reading email. And they clicked when they shouldn't have. They clicked on an email. And that downloaded uh, a malicious software to their computer, which gave them remote control of that computer. And uh, they worked their way in. And basically, this, it was from a, a third-party contractor. And that third-party contractor had some kind of, of connection with Target's um, financial system, basically some billing you know, system, where as a contractor, you know, they're sending, you know, billing invoicing, that kind of stuff back and forth. And so that, that initial access that got in by way of that stupid email that, you know, we all kind of have the potential of clicking on, gave them access to get in, and then they kind of worked their way slowly up and over and up and over and up and over and up and over. And they said, okay, they basically did what every, you know, smart thief does. They cased the joint. 
you know, and they took their time. Yeah, this did, this didn't happen overnight. This wasn't a this wasn't a thirty second or a three minute or even a three hour or three day thing. Certainly this, not. Yeah. You know, and, and most of these um, high, high tech breaches, most of these tech breaches, are not overnight. Sometimes they're weeks, sometimes they're months, and sometimes they're months or year plus before they're even noticed. Right. And that's the really, really that's scary That's the really thing. scary part. Yeah, that's a you long know, window of time. With, with this one, it, 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 you know, it broke out pretty quick. You know, so they got in there and they found out that, um, they found out how uh, Target sends out updates to all the point of sale cash registers. You know, so one store might have 20, up to 50 different, you know, cash uh, register points within the store. And so they, they, they got connected to the software system that um, deploys firmware and software updates. And they piggybacked in their own payload with that. And so they sent out this. And so what happened? You know, come Black Friday, rolls around, people are hitting all the stores, swiping away. And what the software did, it, it basically captured all that credit card information mm -hmm. briefly and then passed it on. You know, so it didn't it didn't block it, but it passed it on, and it wrote that to a place on a server at Target, and then later, a uh, program was uploading that data from the server, you know, to their own server. And what happened after that? Um, credit card um, information was became available in the black market, right. and it became available in the thousands. Yeah, and that's when when it really kind of tipped people off, like. Ooh, there's something going on here. Yeah, you know this is big. It's not just kind of like your your small kind of credit card fraud. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so it's huge. Yeah. And what about some of the other big ones? So let's let's go. Uh, let's talk Anthem. Okay. We like Anthem, right? So we, we mentioned that uh, last time. You know, Anthem has the largest uh, settlement. You know, with HHS OCR to mm -hmm. date. Sixteen million. <coughs> sixteen million dollars. Yeah. yeah. Sixteen million dollars. You know, so we affected ultimately, I think it was about 80 million records was, I think, the number there similar. So uh, tell us how that one happened. Yeah, and, and so there's, um, you know, again, this is, this is sophisticated stuff, really sophisticated stuff. And at the end of the day, uh, the fingers are pointed to nation state. You know, this is really the Mission Impossible stuff. This is really the, you know, the Hollywood stuff that, you know, it was a, you know, foreign country was accusations of Russia, accusations of China. And this includes um, the state of California, our attorney general, saying that our conclusion is it was mm, some other country, some other nation state. And so it was a complicated hack, and it worked similarly um, in the way that they got remote access. And once they got remote access into you know, resources at Anthem, they ultimately uh, got access to, I, th I, I think, about... 50 different systems within Anthem, probably using 50 plus different user accounts, you know, and each time they would kind of go up and sideways and up and sideways and up and sideways, getting more and more and more and more elevated access to information. And ultimately they got to, uh, you know, a core database, which was not encrypted, um, which they, you know, got access to and they downloaded lots and lots of records, ultimately up, up to about 80 million records, and it was in multiple you know, divisions of Anthem. Well, the press talked about the users, uh, talked about employees and someone um, clicking on a link. So how, did they, how yeah. did they get in the door? They got in the door the same way they got in at Target. <laughs> somebody was reading email, and somebody clicked on an email, mm -hmm. right? They, and it was a phishing scam. So they, they basically clicked on an email, and it downloaded a payload, and it gave them remote access, right? So once you get remote access, you know, that, that's what you do. You're like, okay, I got in the back door, so let me, let me case the joint and let me look for another weak spot within the infrastructure, right? So this was a very sophisticated one. Um, they took their time. Um, it's one that, you know, maybe it was a foreign country, maybe not. Um, but at the end of the day, they, they, they got in there the this, this same front door way of, email mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> right and and that's you know and, and both what, of these are record-breaking cases right. record what are these what, what is the lesson what is the lesson I guess from that to to employers well it, it's we all face the same you know threats you know and, and here's the here's the fun thing with with um, spam that goes out you know no one's a target everyone's a target right <laughs> with spam they're not they're not looking for Dorothy they're not looking for Ted they're not looking for Steve they're, they're looking for anybody Anybody who's, who's um, 
moving too fast or silly enough to click on this, mm-hmm. you know, or who's, you know, it's a numbers game. Who's, but sometimes it's not silly. Who's going to Some, make a mistake? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes they're so sophisticated now that, mm-hmm. I mean, even people that have a lot of training in this stuff could... Could be fa- could be fooled by yeah, these and they're, they're, they're getting, getting very sophisticated. They're getting more sophisticated, and it's taking the form not only of emails; it's taking the form of phone calls, right? So you can fake a phone call. You know, as we get more sophisticated with AI software, we can uh, spoof somebody's voice. You know, more and more you're going to see uh, fake videos that are created, and so one of the, one of the things that you've seen on email that's that's gone around to companies is. Hey, there's an email from the CFO or the CEO, and hey, the you know they're on vacation, they're over in Europe. Can you transfer some money to? Oh, we see that all the time. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. right. And why do you see it all the time? Because it works. Because it works. Yeah. It works. It's a numbers game, right? And that's one where it's it's called spear phishing. It's yeah. it's really it's targeted. Uh, you know, I said before, you know, no one's a target with like the broad spam. Uh, spear phishing is one like I'm gonna pick on that company. I'm going to do enough research so I can figure out, you know, their, the leadership's name, maybe when they're when they're traveling. Look on <laughs> Facebook. Yeah. Look on LinkedIn. Look on those things, right? So you're doing the Frank Abagnale Jr. from Catch Me If You Can electronically, mm-hmm. right? And so you get, you know, you get people stepping on these. And we, we saw one of these uh, just the other day, yeah. where we had, uh, you know, one of your business partners, mm-hmm. right? Was um, you got an email. And the email said, hey, you know, this person is sending you a file, you know, and, and uh, had the logos and everything on there of a file sharing service. Um, it just out, just so it turns out that that file sharing service was one for uh, real estate documents, right. which was, whoops, that doesn't really apply. Doesn't, so, that doesn't so, match, yeah. So those who sent it out, you know, weren't really savvy enough to, right. to discern that or they didn't care, right? Um, and but still, it caused some. It caused some concern. It had, but yeah. it had it had links in yeah. there. It had a link in there. The link that says, you know, click here to download the file. That link went to uh, a website which is called AppSpot.com, and, and AppSpot is a place where you can host software and pages and all kinds of stuff. And it's one that has um, had some uh, record in the past of hosting some nefarious pages. And so that's what it was. It wasn't even. Um, the link wasn't even to matching with the logos that were on the rest of the email. So part of the email was legit, mm-hmm. even though it was a service that doesn't relate to your business, so you right. shouldn't have opened it. And the other was there was a link on there that wasn't obvious, um, you know. And and so that's well, I, I don't click on li- links, but if they sometimes though, I mean that that one was I mean to somebody that if you're looking at a situation where let's say you're working with a vendor and you know that vendor has a secured system. Mm-hmm. And so, but you haven't seen it yet. For in case, I'm just going to give you myself as an example. I don't usually work with the vendors and have the security. You know, work with Anthony does my business partner and, and mm-hmm. the service team. They do that. So when they send me a document or something, I automatically just say, "Hey, Anthony, check this out. If it's a file that needs to be gone done, you deal with it because you're the one that has the yeah. passwords to get into mm-hmm. their system." So I, for somebody like me, I may not have seen what their what their actual secured system looks like so it wouldn't have been as apparent to someone like me mm-hmm. because i didn't see it whereas anthony might say if he received this say wait a minute that's not what they're secured that's not the right person that's or that's not the system right. we use this uh, doesn't right. smell right 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 but you because you're not working with it every day and that's what people uh, exploit you know the ceo is he's on vacation in europe she's on vacation in uh, asia or somewhere hawaii you know they need you to send some money. Hey, you know, it's irregular. Whenever there's money asking to be sent, it's I irregular. Know it's <laughs> but, you know, or or they need you to download this document and work on this presentation for them. You know, it's it's irregular. But we were like, well, maybe, mm-hmm. right? So what do we have to do? We have to slow down. Right. right. We have to slow down. We have to learn how to slow down and be really discerning. Well, in my situation, things like this happen. What first thing I do is, if it, there's even a question, is I just send it to you <laughs> and say. Check this out. Is this legit or is, is this real? is this bad? Um, mm-hmm. Which is obviously what what we do every time. Um, but it's 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 really scary when you think about it. And I belong to a lot of associations, and one of the associations that I'm very uh, very much involved in. I can't tell you how often, especially now at Christmas time and, and over the holidays and things like that. You'll be listening to this probably after the first of the year. But um, we constantly get hit where there are companies that and there are individuals that actually target associations. And they research who the presidents are, who the people are, mm-hmm. and they do the same thing. Um, you know, I'm out of town right now. Can you, um, you know, we're trying to collect gift cards for this organization or that. Can you, can you, can you 
participate in this. We get these all the time. We have to constantly send out to our new board members and so forth that, hey, we've got these what, we, what I call tricksters, but um, you know, it looks like our tricksters have hit us again. Be careful, you know, kind of thing. Because, I mean, they target organizations, they target associations, they target any, anyone. Mm-hmm. So it's getting kind of scary. Yeah, so we, we need to learn how to, you know, be able to, you know, see who's, who's actually sending the email, you know, what's it coming from, look at the, you know, the link, uh, you know, hover your mouse over it and see the little pop-up that tells you what the URL or the yeah. address is that yeah. you're supposed to be going to and say, hey, does that look like the right website? Right. You know, but uh, the bottom line message is, is that the, the entryways that the biggest breaches have happened through is, is the same kind of thing that hits all of us. So, you know, we're kind of all on equal on an equal field here, uh, you know, so it's not just those huge companies that face these potential, you know, hacking resources. It's, it's really all of us that face it. Yeah, big, small, doesn't matter your size, doesn't matter any of that. It's all pretty much the same. Um, so what employers need to do to make sure that they don't have a breach in their own company? Um, so some of the simple things, not simple, but briefly. Well, you know, number one, uh, you want to teach people. You know, make this, make it important uh, understood by people that that discerning your email is really important, mm-hmm. right? And the danger of, of somebody getting access, you know, through email or clicking on a web page, you know. So, um, you know, the the, the first uh, thing, the most important thing, you know, really is risk assessment. Right. Know, know where your risks are, you know, because because everybody's situation is different. You know, some companies uh, only one person is is going online. Some companies, everybody's going online and they're all bringing their own devices into the office, which is dangerous because, you know, who knows what other stuff is already on that device they brought from home. Or who knows, you know, if their kids are also using that device and playing multiplayer games and other things that are open up, you know, portals. Right. Um, so, you know, the risk assessment. Know where your risks are and then um, address those. Address training on email. Um, lock down things as much as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, we mentioned the idea of minimum necessary. Mm-hmm. Minimum necessary. What's that about? It's about let's not put all our our eggs in one basket. So when we think about like the Target or the Anthem, if you know if somebody got access only to you know one employee's worth data, that, that only that employee's that the data that that employee handles, then it's a small number of records versus all employees. Right, right. right. So if everybody has access, uh, then you have a problem. So you want a minimum necessary to, to have the minimum risk of what happens if somebody does breach or if you do to get a ransomware, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so really, um, how do you minimize breaches? It's all these things we talk about of access control, using multi-factor authentication to have a higher confidence that the person logging in is the real person. Right. Because once you get the credentials, you know, a la Frank Abagnale Jr. in social engineering, you know, guessing, if you have uh, multi-factor authentication turned on, you still have to have that cell phone. Right. Or you still have to have that other third, you know, third way of, you know, assuring. Right. So you got a, you got a better chance of avoiding that. Well, you mentioned a couple uh, times today, um, t- we talked about employees working from home. What should employers do uh, to protect their data with employees when they are working at home? Because, you know, bring your own device uh, things are, are, are pretty uh, common and, you know, working at home with their own networks and uh, company-owned versus personally owned. Let's, talk, let's open that up a little bit and talk about yeah, that. Yeah, and there's a, there's a couple of ways you can address that. You know, one way is to say, you know, here's your, here's your company laptop. You can take this home, mm-hmm. right? And you can work on this laptop at home or out in the field, right? And this is going to be encrypted, and I'm going to lock it down, and I'm going to, you know, as an IT administrator, I may lock this down and, and um, not allow USB drives to be connected to it, mm-hmm. right? Which, which means um, prohibiting data from going on and off to right, the USB yeah. port, mm-hmm. right? Um, I may, you know, uh, basically put a blacklist on it and say you can't go to certain websites, you know, or may maybe only allow you to go to certain websites. Um, so so that could all be set up from IT. That can all that, be that could be set up by an IT department mm-hmm. if you are going to give someone a device to go mm-hmm. take home and use. Um, you may also give them um, a VPN 
connection, which means a virtual private network. It means which are, by the way, the best thing ever invented. It's it, it's, it's what uh, it's really what the world lives on now. Right. So virtual private network that means it's private, but it's actually virtual. It's not like there's a, a cable going from the office to your house. Right. There's not a wire out there. It's a virtual private network, which means um, you log into it. And when you're logging into it, that's when, again, when we're using multi-factor authentication. Right. Right. And it may be using a certain uh, VPN software that we put on your machine. It could be on your own, uh, bring your own device machine, or it could be on a company machine. Right. But a virtual private network allows somebody to, um, number one, ensure that all the websites they visit, all the email they're up and downloading and so on, that going back to that second point of HIPAA, mm -hmm. of uh, encrypting data in transmission, data in transit, a VPN um, will basically create a secure tunnel so that all the data that you're transferring back and forth is encrypted in transmission. Right? Yeah. And you can also set that up so that someone logs into resources at work. So maybe they're logging into the server at the office so they can access the files and folders and so on that are in the office by way of that VPN connection. So so let's talk a little bit about bring your own devices because this comes up a lot. Some companies um, don't have laptops and so forth that they give to their employees. Employers are in the field, they use their own devices. What kind of things can IT departments and can people like you um, do to protect the company in situations like, like that when it's not their devices, it's their own by the individuals? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's, uh, number one, we want to restrict access to information, to data. Let's go back to that minimum necessary. Um, we want to, if someone's going to bring in their own device to work at, to, to be used in the office, then I want to make sure that um, that device has uh, good antivirus mm -hmm. and anti-malware. You know, so I'm, there's going to be some software that I want to make sure is on there. Um, I'd like to make sure there's certain software that's not on there. Take off the multiplayer games, take off the toolbars, right. you know, the Yahoo toolbars and the Google toolbars. Those kinds of things and the multiplayer games, they open up um, data ports on your computer and they're looking for uh, data, you know, to and from. Yeah. Right. And so those are, that's what uh, hackers like to spoof. And they say, hey, I'm Yahoo. I'm going in through that, that port on your computer. Um, so we want to take those off. Um, we want to, um, if, um, if that person is going to be accessing um, data in the office, I, wanna, I could limit them to certain drives that mm -hmm. they could access mm -hmm. versus a, a computer that's you know in the office. Um, I could actually put them on a separate network or virtual network in the office so that um, while they're in the office, that computer doesn't have access to you know uh, the rest of the network in the office. So it's kind of like having you know the, the guest Wi-Fi. Right. In this case, it's the guest network or the, you know, um, bring your own device network. Right. They can have they can access the internet, but they're not going to be able to access any other devices that are on your office network. And again, like like we call it virtual private network, you can create a, a, a virtual. It's called a VLAN, which means a virtual local area network. Mm -hmm. So um, even if you just have one connection to the internet from your ISP, you could set it up so that within your office you have you know, a virtual network just for the finance department. Right. A separate one for separate one. That's sales. Separate one, yeah. A separate mm -hmm. one for the BYODs, bring your own devices. Mm -hmm. A separate one for guests. Right. And with each of those, they'll be act they'll be able to ultimately access the internet outside, but they can't go they can't cross over and go can't the other cross way. over, you know, and so there's things like that that can be done. Well I actually do that um not quite as detailed as that, but because I have a lot of guests that come, a lot of friends and family and clients and so forth that visit my home in the mountains, um, I actually have that split out so that one I have one network for me and one network for my guests. So when people come in, the first thing people do when they walk into your house is say, which Kid, what, what's your Wi-Fi password? So I never have to worry about giving them mine because no one has that but me, mm -hmm. and I think my business partner has has uh, has that that one as well, in case he visits there. But um, but uh, the bottom line is, I say, okay, here it is, and this is the password, and you can use that. So all of their devices, all the stuff they're doing, all my guests, all my friends, there. So I have to tell them which network to, to log into, and then this mm -hmm. is the password to that network. They can't get into mine, mm -hmm. nor do I want them to. And I think something as simple as that, if you have a three G and a five G, you can pick one at home. 
and you can say, you know, just change the network access on the password on one to one thing and one on the other, and, and you can do that. Well, at easily. home, at home, if you don't have, if you're not using a virtual uh, VLAN, mm-hmm. you know, virtual um, local area network, if you're not using that method, uh, just having the 2.5 gigahertz versus the 5 gigahertz, right. as, as different names, um, that's still the same network, even though they're connecting from different. Um, different bandwidths, mm-hmm. you know, different um, frequencies. That's uh, still the same network, so really what they need there is uh, the virtual mm-hmm. uh, local area, the VLAN capability, which comes with uh, firewalls. Right. It comes with which, the, that kind of hardware. Which is what we have in there, yeah. Which is what you have in there, and that's something that, that we provide for small and medium-sized right. businesses too. Um, and big businesses have those, they have hardware firewalls. So it's more than just, it's, and that's it's, the point I want to make, it's more than just simply splitting out the passwords. It's more than just sl- splitting the passwords, and it's more than, uh, that's not hardware that you get from Cox, Spectrum, you know, Time Warner. It's not, it's, it's more hardware than that. And, and another thing that can be done for people who want to work from home is uh, what we call remote desktop. So they could, um, using the VPN connection, they could connect to the office, Mm -hmm. and they could basically connect to um, either their actual machine in the office or to a uh, virtual machine in the office. So that um, while they're doing this computing from a device at home, the data is actually not on that device at home. It's just a window into that computer that's in the office that the, stays in the office. And, and the thing we can do that with also like with people work with their they, they have tablets let's say. Mm-hmm. What I've always said in the past was that in a general kind of a general statement but I always refer it to you guys to deal with it but you know when they have a tablet they're working with that tablet a lot of times you can set that up to just be a portal into the secured place where they need to store the data. They don't want anything so I kind of like tablets for that reason rather than laptops because if it's a big you know bring your own device and it's a laptop there's a lot of their own personal data on there where if they have a uh, you know a tablet you can just set that up to just be you know wi-fi enabled and so forth they're not they don't really need to store any files on that they can just use that Mm -hmm. as a portal into wherever they're storing their data onto their secured electronic storage databases and so forth yeah and that's done it's done and it depends on the depends on the device and it depends on the operating system device there's a lot of a lot of nuances there and you know the other thing that can be done with uh, portable devices um, is tracking software, mm-hmm. you know, that says, hey, if this if this device um, gets lost and we report it as lost, the next time it's connected on the internet, it's going to be wiped. Yeah, and it's going to tell us where it is. Yeah, it's like it's like the low jack. Right. Right. I like the low jack. <laughs> I like the low jack of, of electronic data. That's good. Yeah. The, the thing I want to emphasize here with you know on the risk side is that you know basically these breaches, the hacks, and so on. This is theft. Mm-hmm. What they're doing is they're stealing information. Right. It's different than physical stuff because when um, you know when when they catch the person, the data doesn't get unstolen. Right. Right. They they get to. It's funny how that works. They get to instantly and effortlessly um, send out all these stolen goods around the world. Mm-hmm. Right. And they can send it out multiple times. You can sell credit information multiple times. You know. So when you when you steal a TV. You need to fence that. I mean, that has to be you know going on the market somewhere, and you know it's 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 slow, it's cumbersome, and you only use so many at a time. With when you steal credit information, you know you can sell it multiple times. Yeah, you can sell it instantly all around the world, twenty four seven. And my question to all the listeners is, how many times have you received those emails that said <laughs> that your information has been stolen, that your the store that you were just shopping at last week or shop at once a week for their entire life has been hacked, or you know they've been breached and you know, the, you can't go to a restaurant, you can't go to anywhere anymore without the, the possibility of having that system uh, be breached. So it's really important that you keep, you know, monitoring this stuff and your credit stuff and everything else. This is more than, HIPAA, as I said at the beginning on part one, it's more than just HIPAA privacy and security. It's security of all your systems. It's security of, you know, on a broad base. And I think that's some of the things I wanted to make sure to hit home on today. And I'm glad you're doing that. Um, so what are the most important things that you're looking for in a risk assessment? Well, you know, with a risk assessment, we're, we're doing, you know, a holistic view, you know, like the 40,000-foot view, mm-hmm. so we see the whole picture, and we're also looking in, in the weeds, mm-hmm. you know, down in the weeds, you know, on, on some things. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, an inventory of what are all the um, hardware devices that are mm-hmm. being used, what computers, laptops, routers, uh, firewalls, cell phones, you know, 
internet connected devices including you know printers you know the internet of things can it kind of expands and expands but we want to know what it is that data could be going on okay. so an inventory of those things and of those major computers what operating systems are there you know what uh, versions of the operating systems they are what software is on those so one of the first things that we do is we do uh, uh, basically a virtual inventory will um, catalog all the devices right, and which we'll is by the way a HIPAA requirement you have to have a catalog of all of your devices have a catalog, right <laughs> yeah so because that why what do they want they want to know what the risk is mm -hmm. right? so we want to know all the devices what hardware what hardware types what software is running on those you can't know your you can't know your vulnerabilities unless you know exactly what you have exactly and then where's the data so we want to know basically from a 40,000 foot view what's the flow of the data the data that we care about it's the mm -hmm. PHI um, who touches it um, where does it generally go you know I, I know there's a lot of detail but um, in general you know it comes in this door it comes in this department it gets turned into a report or an analysis or some type of product and then it goes over to another department right so we want to look at that flow who's involved um, and how do they up and download it you know how does it go in and out of the company between maybe them and, and business partners or them and, and customers mm -hmm. so it's that flow of information um, okay well let's talk about the differences between a small employer with no IT department and a large employer with a big IT department and a big staff um, what kind of things can you do how can you help each of those types of organizations well you know really the small companies uh, oftentimes we see that it's it's just somebody at the company who is maybe more computer savvy you know or maybe someone who has a you know a teenager who knows who likes to use computers isn't that weird how that it's like the 12 to 16 year olds do more today than we could have? I mean, seriously, if I have a problem with something, it's like ask my nephew, ask something like well, that. It's their first language. That's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's crazy. Their, yeah, yeah, it's their first language, and they're also not risk averse. They're they're right. not afraid to try anything. Right. We we know what it's like to uh, lose some data, so we're a little more risk averse. Right. You know, so uh, for this for the small you know groups. Uh, we're bringing in a lot of the knowledge that large corporations use the tools and so on the practices and and we're bringing that information in you know so we're bringing the resources we're bringing the expertise um, we have uh, the software programs and we have the expertise in setting up um, the firewalls virtual lands you know and so on the VPNs and so on you know so what we're doing for small organizations um, for both organizations doing risk assessments, for the small organizations, we're um, implementing. You know, before we do that, we're even saying, "Here's different ways that you could approach solutions." You know, and we're going to bring multiple solutions and say, "You get to pick." So you can help them to train their IT department to uh, set up best practices and so forth. With the with the larger groups, you know, if they have an IT department, that's what we're going to do: is 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 train them um, how to be HIPAA compliant. What does all this mean? You know, what do these different rules and regulations mean? Why does it matter? You know, mm -hmm. in the privacy training that we do, a big part of that is why is this important? You know, how, how could you lose your job and your employer go out of business if you don't do the right things here? Right. Right. So with those large groups, it's we're going to help them with training and we're going to help them with change management if they need. Mm -hmm. You know, we mentioned this earlier, uh, addressing that we've always done that this way. So why do I need to do it differently? <laughs> yeah, you know. So it's more than just um, having the right recipe. It's it's how do we change? Yeah, right. And that goes beyond IT. And and what we say this is not just uh, a problem for the IT department. It's not just IT's problem anymore. It's everybody's responsibility. And so we've we've got a lot of experience with the change management side. Okay. Right, well, we're running out of time here, so I want to wrap up by just uh, mentioning to everyone that, by the way, Ted and I do, our two organizations do do uh, public training on a regular basis, at least twice a year, spring and fall. Um, you can always check our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com to find out uh, training in your area. Um, but Ted, how do they get a hold of Aditi Group? If they want to reach you about some IT services or some consulting or uh, some training needs or something like that. Well, they can reach us online as well. That's aditigroup.com. That's A D. ITI group.com or they can reach us on the phone at 323-776-9386 great 
All right. Well, thank you very much. This was very helpful. I really appreciate that. And, and, and it's been great, like I said, to uh, interview you again after you. I don't like being on the interviewee <laughs> side. I like being on the interview, interviewer side. And uh, so thank you for, for doing that. And uh, for those of you listening that would like any additional information, again, you can go to our website. Thank you. Thank you and stay secure. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for compliance tips, cost containment ideas, new trends, and decision-making tools. This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Ms. Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3, toll-free at 866-658-3835, or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.